Amen. You can have your seats. Well, good morning. My name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we're excited that you chose to be with us. Uh, I want to wish all of you a happy Father's Day. Uh, today is a great day for me because, like Roselle, my family was also out of town all week. So my wife and kids were gone all week, and they just got back yesterday. Uh, although I feel a little bad for Roselle because I ate really well uh, while my family was out of town. He was eating hot dogs. I was eating deer steak, and so you should have called. Um, you missed out, but uh, it's so good to have my family back. So just makes Father's Day extra special for me uh, this year, them having been gone for eight days and then coming back yesterday. So I want to wish all of you a happy Father's Day as well. A um, little bit of a change up this morning. I got an email um, on Friday afternoon saying, hey, by the way, the cafeteria is under construction and you can't meet in there. So I was like, awesome. Um, but uh, we made the adjustment to the gym, which if you've been with us for a while, um, usually our bigger services, Christmas Eve and Easter and things like that, we do in the gym anyways. And so uh, just uh, really thankful for our volunteer crew this morning. They, they put in a lot of hard work to help make this happen uh, really appreciate that. And if you're not currently um, signed up to be a volunteer uh, at Element Church, whether that's on setup team, whether that's working the audio visual in the back on Sundays or working in the kids ministry or with host team, um, I would really challenge and encourage you to do so. Uh, at the connection table at the end of the service today, um, in the lobby, you can stop by and we would love to answer questions and help you get connected in a place that fits with your gifts and your talents and your schedule. Um, you know, as we talk about Father's Day, as we're kind of thinking through um, and, and want to certainly honor fathers uh, today, do you remember like being a kid and thinking, um, I think probably many of us had this experience, maybe not everyone, but uh, like your father was just great. Like he was the greatest. You remember like the my dad can beat up your dad, like discussions in the school cafeteria. Um, and then like all the lies you told about how strong your dad was because you just needed to impress, like make sure that um, everyone knew that your dad could beat up their dad. Um, and even if you didn't have a dad in your life, or you didn't particularly like the dad that you did have, um, even if you didn't feel comfortable saying, hey, my dad could beat up your dad, I'm guessing inside of you there was a desire that you wish you could say that. Like you wish you could brag about how, how awesome your dad is, how strong he is, um, how great he is. And I don't think this is unique, just kids wanting their dads to be great. As dads, we want to be great. Like we want our kids to look at us and we want to, them to see that greatness in us. And I don't think this is unique to fathers. Um, I think men in general, I think mothers, I think human beings in general um, want people to look at us and think that we're great. And, and especially just want to look at us and, and we want to feel like we're great and feel like our lives matter. We want to feel like our lives have genuine purpose and value. And one of the main stories we're going to look at today in Luke chapter 22 uh, has to do with this very idea. So if you brought your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open it up to Luke chapter 22. If you didn't bring a Bible, we have some scattered around in the seats. Or um, what is easiest is if you'll pull out your phone and open up the Bible app, go to the menu, go to live events, and then click Element Church. And all the scriptures we're going to cover today um, will be laid out for you. As well as what you'll notice is things like the connection card. We have a digital connection card in the Bible app. And so um, and you you can stop by the connection table in the lobby if you want to sign up to volunteer like we just talked about a minute ago. You can also do that through the connection card. Um, and so you can fill it out right on your phone uh, during the service today uh, to make it even easier. But Luke chapter 22 is where we're going to start. And we're going to start in verse 24. 
So I want to read this, and then I'll give you a little bit of context and some commentary. Luke chapter 22, we're going to start in verse 24, and it says this. A dispute arose among them, that's the disciples, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, one who reclines at, table, at the table, or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. Now, I want, to note, I want to point out a few things that I want you to notice about this whole situation. Number one, notice what it says the disciples are arguing about. John, who is, or Luke, who's writing this, right, is a close contemporary, close friend of Peter. And so is getting his firsthand account of what took place. And they're not arguing about who's going to be great. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. So they're not just talking about, hey, I want to be great. I want my life to matter. They're, they're, they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And another thing I want you to notice is, it doesn't say that they were having a discussion. It says they were having a dispute or a debate. And so here we are, the disciples are debating one another in front of Jesus, mind you, about who is the greatest, right? Not to mention they've watched Jesus walk on the water. They've watched him multiply a little bit of food to feed thousands. They've seen him heal people that no other doctor or physician or, or medical remedy could take care of in the first century. They've seen Jesus just with the just with the sound of his voice, raise someone from the dead. And in front of them, they're having this discussion, this debate about who's going to be the greatest, which is kind of absurd. And then let me give you the context in which this is taking place. In Luke chapter 22, this is taking place at the Last Supper. In Luke chapter 22, this is taking place the night Jesus is going to be betrayed. So what we know from the, this scene is that we read this in John chapter 13 that before they started eating together, Jesus took off his outer garments, got on his hands and knees, and he washed every single one of the disciples' feet. He's already told them multiple times, and we'll remind them again at dinner, hey, just so you know, this is where my life ends. I am going to lay down my life for you. This is the context in which the disciples are having this discussion about who's going to be the greatest. Aside from the fact they've already had this argument. Luke chapter 9. They've already gone through this. Jesus has already tried to redirect them. They have already been caught in having this debate about who's going to be the greatest. The disciples are sitting here dreaming of status and power, and Jesus is preparing for love and sacrifice. That's the scene. That's the setting that we read about this dispute. But notice what Jesus doesn't do and what he does do. Jesus doesn't rebuke them, which is what they deserved, right? What they deserved is to be put in their place. 
Uh, but Jesus doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't put them down. He doesn't chastise them. He, what he does is he redirects them to think about something a little different. He redirects them to rethink how they perceive and understand greatness. Jesus responds in verse 25. He said, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And so what he's saying is, listen, you have seen what the world does when ambition is not refined, hasn't been redeemed. When ambition isn't held back. You've seen what takes place in this world when people pursue power and authority above all else. And And he looks at him, he says, but this is not going to be the way you do things. Not so with you. You won't do it this way. And then Jesus sets him up with this little rhetorical question. He says, at a dinner party, when everyone's celebrating, who's the greatest? The people drinking the champagne or the people pouring the champagne? That's not exactly what he said. That's my like, you know, contextualization of what he says. He says, who's the greatest, the one drinking the champagne or the one who's serving and pouring the champagne? Now, you know what the disciples were thinking, right? The exact same thing you and I would be thinking. When Jesus asks you that kind of question, you're like, okay, the real answer is the people drinking champagne, but this is probably a trick. Like, this is probably one of those times when we would give the answer and then Jesus would show we're wrong because we don't get it. And so the, the disciples don't say anything, which is probably smart. Because you know they're thinking, of course, the person drinking the champagne is the greatest. That's how it works. But they're like, yeah, but Jesus is probably going to change the rules here somehow. And so they don't answer. And Jesus responds to them, the person drinking the champagne is the greatest. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's kind of what we thought we were expecting you to give a different answer. But Jesus says, so he says, is it not the one who reclines at the table as opposed to the one who serves? But I am among you as one who serves. So they're having this debate. Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus wants to redirect them. He He doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be great. What he tries to do is channel their energy and their effort and their attention and their focus on what real greatness should look like. And we see a beautiful, perfect picture of this in Philippians chapter 2, of how this is at work. In Philippians chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 1. This is Paul trying to encourage a church about what it is they should be doing and how they should be doing it and how they should be living and how they should be interacting with one another and interacting with the world. And in chapter 2 of this letter, Paul says this, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. And of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, 
which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is a perfect illustration of how Jesus is redefining what genuine greatness is going to look like in God's kingdom. Paul says that Jesus emptied himself. And because he emptied himself, verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him. Because in the final 24 hours of his life, Jesus hands and knees to wash the feet of those who were supposed to be following him and serving him, but he came not to be served, but to serve. That the one who didn't deserve death and punishment took on the shame of the cross. As Paul says here, who became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus lived out what he was trying to teach the disciples. He says, look at the world. You've seen what happens when unredeemed ambition gets a hold of people. But I'm telling you there's a new way. I'm telling you that greatness looks different in my kingdom than in the kingdom of this world. That those who want to be great are going to do so By lowering themselves. And as Jesus emptied himself, God exalted him. As Jesus put himself as low as he possibly could, God has exalted him to the place that one day at his name, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Because he emptied himself. Now, here's the connection to Father's Day. We're going to look at one more passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, this specific passage that we're going to look at is more focused on husbands, but we're going to extend it to the family in general. Ephesians chapter 5, so Paul again, writing to a different church this time, giving them instructions on how to live their lives in light of the gospel, in light of who Jesus is, how it should impact the way they live their lives. Paul says this to the men of the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one 
flesh. Paul there is quoting Genesis, the very first marriage. Verse 32, this mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I read this passage in virtually every wedding that I officiate. Um, Several of you have been to weddings that I officiate. Um, uh, It's just too important of a passage to not read and reflect on and talk about. And when we talk about husbands being willing to act like Christ did towards the church and lay down their life, I always mention to husbands or about to be husbands standing there at the altar that this is much bigger than a brave heart style lay down your life. Like we all love the movie, right? Like every guy sees that and when, you know, he's got the, you know, Mel Gibson has the face paint on, he screams freedom, like we just want to fight someone, like Right? There's something beautiful and powerful about the story of, you know, he's trying to redeem or t- trying to revenge and, and, and fight for the, the honor of his deceased wife. And there's something powerful about seeing someone who's willing to sacrifice their lives for either a person or a cause greater than them. But I tell new husbands that taking a bullet for your wife is a rather easy decision because it's quick and it's a one moment decision what's really challenging and difficult is to die every day to yourself and sacrificially love and serve your wife that's a challenge and this is the kind of love and sacrifice that Paul is talking about. That husbands, what you've been called to in light of who Christ is and who we claim to be, that you're going to lay down your life for your wife just as Christ has done for the church. But Jesus didn't just die for the church. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. Not to come and be served, even though as king and creator of the universe, He deserves to sit on the throne and be served by us. He came not to be served, but to serve. And this, Paul says, is what husbands are called to do. This is the picture of who you're supposed to be. And Paul ends it here with like a little bit of sarcasm at the end. He's like, I don't know if you picked up on this whole uh, teaching I've been going on, but I'm not even talking about marriage. I'm talking about Jesus and the church And so he's really writing to the whole church and he's like, listen, now you're called to live a self-sacrificing life that Christ modeled. I'm talking about Jesus and his church. Oh, but by the way, this still applies to marriage too, is how he ends it. That this is a picture of what we of what we see and what we read in, in Philippians. That Jesus emptied himself and is therefore exalted. That when the disciples are having this debate in Luke chapter 22, the second time they're having the debate, about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus says, no, 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 no. In my kingdom, we are redefining how this works. Things don't add up in my kingdom like you're accustomed to in this world. Greatness looks different 
here than it does out there. And Paul's going to take that principle and apply it to the marriage and family. Husbands, fathers, all of us have this desire to be great. We want to be great in our family. We want our children to see us as superheroes. We want our wives to see us as great. And I think there is a legitimate and healthy portion of that. But what Jesus does is he doesn't rebuke those who want to be great. He redefines what it means and how you accomplish it. And here's the secret. Your children want you to be great. Your wife wants you to be great. There's nothing more that, than, any, uh, than any wife sitting in here wants for her husband than for her husband to be great. But what Jesus has s- redefined is that greatness is now about the ability and willingness and power to yield as opposed to the power to wield. Greatness is being redefined here for us. And so here's the challenge to first fathers and husbands in here. There's something inside of you that wants to be great. It's not something that I think you should be ashamed of or run away from. Your children want you to be great. And I promise you, your wife wants you to be great. But what they want is they want to see this greatness that Jesus modeled. They want to see the greatness that says, I earn respect by lovingly sacrificing and serving others. They want to see this greatness by someone who says, I'll charge forward and lead the way as opposed to just point the way. Fathers, we want you to be great. I believe Jesus wants you to be great. And in his kingdom, through his example, he has redefined how we attain greatness and what that looks like. Now, the desire for greatness is not unique to husbands or fathers or men. All of us want to be great. All of us want to know that our lives have purpose and meaning and value. And in God's kingdom, he has flipped it upside down. About how it is that we're going to attain it. About what it looks like to, in in a holy, godly fashion, pursue greatness. And so the challenge for you and I today is not to stop pursuing greatness, stop pursuing purpose, stop pursuing value. The challenge is to pursue it in light of who Christ is and what He has done for you and I. Will you pray with me? Jesus, I thank You for setting the example for all of us. 
of what greatness means, of how we attain it. But more than that, we thank you that, that you set the example for us because it demonstrated your great love for us. Because our opportunity to enter into your kingdom is only made possible because of your willingness to do it and your sacrifice. Lord Jesus, I pray that whatever we do here in this place, in this moment, would be honoring and glorifying to you. And that you would challenge and speak to each one of us right here, right now. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed for just a moment. We're going to enter into a time of response. A time to respond to who God is and what he's saying and speaking to each one of us. And here's the challenge, I think, for all of us. The first is to praise the greatness of God. If you were with us last week, that was our topic last week. It was about the greatness of God. It was about focusing less on ourselves and turning our attention to Him and His greatness. And this time of response and worship is an opportunity for you to celebrate and sing and declare God's greatness. And so the invitation is made available to you to sing and to celebrate with us. As a part of your worship response, if you want to stand and sing, you can do that. The communion table is available in the back with the the elements of the table. We talked about how in Luke chapter 22, um, the disciples were having this debate at the Last Supper. Well, it was during the Last Supper that Jesus took some bread and he broke it and he said, this now represents my body, which is broken for you. He took a cup and now that cup represents the blood that he spilled for us on the cross. And so for 2,000 years... Christians have been remembering and honoring both that last supper and Jesus' sacrifice by going to the table, by taking the broken bread and the cup to remember and to honor and to worship the moment that Jesus emptied himself and because of that is exalted to the highest place. And if you'd like to make that a part of your worship response, you can do that. And the second way we can respond in addition to celebrating God's greatness is by humbling ourselves. And to humble yourself right now, that could be a lot of ways. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you need to confess. You need to own up to it. You need to quit hiding from it. And you need to lay it bare before the Lord. Not that he doesn't already know, but it's time to lay it bare before the Lord and give it over to him. And so maybe you humble yourself by just confessing sin to him right now. Maybe you humble yourself by getting on your knees in prayer. And humbling yourself before him, the great one, the great I am, that we sing and celebrate. And finally, allow God to challenge you. Men, I'm especially talking to you about how you're going to leave this place today and you're going to humble yourself and lovingly serve and self-sacrifice for your family. Maybe there's something you need to do. Probably there's something you need to say. To self-sacrifice and love and serve 
your wife and your kids to lead the way by example. And you make that commitment between you and God right now that you'll take whatever action steps are necessary to be the husband, to be the father, to be the man God has called you to be. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Would you speak and challenge each one of us in this room, man and woman alike, we would rethink and redefine what greatness looks like in your kingdom.